The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Oh, yeah. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Ah, uh, gotcha. You have been deceived. Jay is on vacation, so it's just Keith. It's no no Jay, just K today. And L M N O P Q R S T U V etc etc. Welcome to the Jay and Keith show that doesn't have Jay because he's on vacation with the family after a long basketball season. Good to have you all along. We'll hear from the newest running backs coach at East Tennessee State, or I should say ETSU. We're trying to get away from East Tennessee State, but you never can escape who you are. Uh, ETSU's new running backs uh, head, uh, running backs coach, uh, Kirk Garner, will be on the show in a little bit. One of two assistants hired from the ranks of the Vanderbilt staff. Uh, he's from Baltimore, very interesting personality, very different on a headset in an interview setting than what you would expect in uh, from from watching him at the practice field. Whereas Jake Yermo, who we had on the show late last week, uh, was very much not. <laughs> very much was not. Very much the same person that you get just with an inside voice. Uh, coming up on the show, we will dive into Portal Watch. Uh, I'm, I'm recording this at 2.50 uh, Eastern Time. As of 2.50, uh, there are no additional Buccaneers in the transfer portal, but there are a number of SOCON players in the portal. We'll size up all of that as well. Uh, but first, some good news. Good news, everyone. That was my Professor Farnsworth. I don't know if that went over. Good news, everyone. Good news, anyone. Something like that. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Um... How about uh, an out-of-this-world feeling for ETSU women's basketball? They will play in the WBI this weekend in Lexington, Kentucky. Not at UK. It's on the campus of uh, Transylvania University. Yeah, go ahead. Get 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 your jokes out. It's okay. I promise. It's okay. I won't judge. Um, <clears throat> you get a free pass today, and then after that, we take it. In, in good faith with great enthusiasm because uh, ETSU is going to be there for a guaranteed three games. It's an eight-team field. There are four games every day of the tournament that begins on Friday and ends on Sunday night. The Sunday night championship game is at 7.30. ETSU's first game is at noon on Friday against Giselle Thomas's old stomping grounds and Joe Silvestri's the FIU Panthers. So uh, excited to... Uh, see that matchup and to see this team continue to play. I just knew that there was no way that the way that they lost to Chattanooga could have been the end. This team deserved a better ending than that. And now they're going to get an opportunity to get it, plus an opportunity for their freshmen to get some more playing time. Journey McDaniel and and Megan Downing and um, uh, Jalia Cotton, who came back from a concussion, her second one in a relatively short, uh, last couple of years, uh, they all came back 
and uh, uh, contributed in the home stretch of the year in some shape, form, or fashion. Downey had to step up because of the injury to Jayla Rufus Milner. Uh, McDaniel missed a couple games due to illness and then kind of lost a rhythm a little bit, but then got better in the last few games of the regular season, had that great game against Western Carolina. And Jay Lee has just never really been able to find a rhythm because she's been so in and out of the lineup with injuries. So it's an opportunity for those players to get some more minutes and Looking at this field, uh, I, I think it's absolutely viable that ETSU could win the tournament. Um, we'll see how it goes, and you never know with postseason, but I think this team's going to be chomping at the bit. I think they're going to be really enthusiastic. I think uh, the fact that so many players are set to come back next year is going to be extremely valuable experience, makes this extremely valuable experience for ETSU to get those extra practices, to get those extra games in, uh, to get those young players' minutes, but also just to get this team as many minutes together as you can. You, you are getting 120 guaranteed minutes for your team at the end of the season. Uh, and I think there are not, it's not always necessarily something that that is. Uh, wanted or needed, but I think in this particular instance, to, to to twist a phrase from a late president, it is prudent at this juncture for ETSU to play in a tournament like the WBI. And the WBI, from my understanding, was very enthusiastic about the Bucks. really re- reached out and uh, wanted that process to start uh, fairly early and fairly quickly. And as a result, here we are. The Bucks are going to the WBI in 2023. And uh, we'll have an opportunity to end their season with uh, games beyond the Southern Conference Tournament, which makes them the third and final team to play postseason ball. And given the way that the season shook out, I think it's fitting that it's Wofford, Chattanooga, and ETSU. Uh, I think most people would tell you those are probably the three best teams in the conference. And uh, they all will play postseason ball. Of course, Chattanooga is going to have fun in, in a very, very um, liberal, generous use of the word fun. They're going to have fun with Virginia Tech in the first round of the dance. Um, Wofford is going to play in the WNIT as the automatic qualifier for the SOCON, and then the Bucks will play in the WBI. All right, might as well uh, rip this Band-Aid off right now. ETSU women's basketball, record-setting season, all sorts of history. Men's basketball goes 12-20. and 20. And they make a coaching change. A lot of close calls, but those close calls kept breaking against ETSU. And they had opportunities to break some uh, some runs of bad luck that they did not capitalize on. And um, eventually it just became too much. And a coaching change was made. Uh, I think it's something that um, a lot of people wondered in the backs of their minds... Is this going to work? And it's nothing against Desmond Oliver. Desmond Oliver is a phenomenal individual. I never wanted for anything in my six months working with Des. And um, I, I, he always made me feel welcome when I came to practice. I, I really enjoyed working with him. I hate that it came to this. I really do. <clears throat> I wanted this to work because you meet Desmond, you sit down with him for 15, 20 minutes, you hear him talk. And, you know, when you take somebody at their word, you say, all right, you, you believe this. And I believe that you believe this. So let's, let's go make it happen. And how can I help? And 
that's always been my mindset, especially when it comes to college athletics. It comes to you know college sports programs that I cover or I'm a part of. It's how can I help you? Um, how can I help uh, uh, get the word out about this program? And you know, I, I never felt like I didn't get anything that I wanted or needed from Des when I asked for it. And unfortunately, if the losses continue to pile up, those things don't really matter as much. And I hate that. Um, But I think a change in athletic administration with Doc Sander coming back on board as the permanent athletic director um, opened the door for this possibility because he was not the athletic director that hired Oliver to be the head coach. And ultimately, that proved to be um, a decision that was his, and he has taken credit for that decision or responsibility for that decision, however you want to look at it, in a public space. It is his decision. It is his responsibility. And he's going. he will will move the program forward. I think we can all agree that the transfer portal has changed evaluation timelines for head coaches. And there is less patience for, particularly at the mid-major level where player turnover has been really high the last couple of years, there is a little bit less patience for a... um, a program that needs time to build. There is more of a win now, all the time, future is now mindset. And that is something that I think partially accelerated this process and put it into people's minds that, hey, we might need something different, a different philosophy not just you know wins and losses it's it's not just about recruiting it's not just about results it's about the the overarching philosophy of the program the process you go through you might need a different philosophy a different process to have success on the terms ETSU defines success and so that i think is what led to this change and what led to this change so early in a coach's tenure, which typically does not happen very often. So when you make this change, um, you're typically you're going to look for some attributes that the previous head coach was um, perceived as not having, whether that would be fair or unfair. Uh, I, I think you're looking for, for a coach that's different, right? You're looking for a coach that is a contrast to your previous head coach. And so I think what you're looking for probably starts with uh, someone who can very readily connect with the people of Northeast Tennessee and Southwest Virginia. And you can look no further for an example of that than Brenda Mock Brown. Mock is from over the mountain in North Carolina, and she 
has always had admiration for this program. She was familiar with this program. She was familiar with this community. And when the opportunity presented itself for her to jump back into the coaching ranks, um, she was doing some consulting work in Blacksburg. She got that opportunity, and she jumped at it, and it was an immediate smash hit. She won Coach of the Year. She set the school record for wins in a season. And I don't have to tell you that she has become very popular very quickly with a lot of diehards around this this um, athletic department. And that is uh, something that I think you need at the helm of the men's basketball program as well. Uh, also, I think you you want to flatten the learning curve as much as you can when it comes to bringing somebody on board into a new program where the expectation is win now or win quickly, or at least show that you are building towards winning a lot of games in a very in the very near future. You want to flatten that learning curve as much as you can. To me, and whether this is ultimately a factor in the process or not, I can't say because I'm not involved in the process. But to me, that would indicate that you might want prior head coaching experience. That is, I think, extremely important for where the program is right now in terms of the state of its culture and needing someone who can unify a group that is very talented, but we would all agree, and I even talked to a player, I won't say who, but I talked to a player on the team that said the same thing as, you know, we're all really good players and, you know, we don't clash that much, but we were never really a team. We were just a group of really talented individuals. And that can't win. You cannot win a team sport with a... a just uh, an agglomeration of really talented individuals. You have to bring them together as a team at some point. And so in order to do that, I think you need someone who has had head coaching success. You need someone who has had head coaching success in an environment where a transient roster is not unheard of and you have had success managing uh, moderate roster turnover in a given year. I think that is something that's going to be important. And you can you can line up all those attributes, and there's not a huge list of candidates, right? Um, I don't know how long this will take, but I know that I trust Doc Sander to make the right call in the end. Um, whatever factors he takes into account, whatever attributes he himself is emphasizing, and they may be different from the ones that uh, I just laid out that would make a lot of sense to me just from my observations of the program and the way people have reacted to the program. It might be different. But in Doc We Trust, especially when it comes to basketball, given his background, the, the, the man has earned, the man has had so much success in evaluating successful men's basketball head coaches, women's basketball head coaches, he has earned uh, implicit and automatic trust in leading a process like this. And I can't think off the top of my head of anyone I would rather have in charge of it, especially given the moment we're in right now. All right, let's open the portal. It's it's opening. It's opening. It's opening. <laughs> 
am loading up the portal right now. And I'm loading up verbal commits, and I don't see anybody new in the SOCON in the last couple of hours. So, as of 5 o'clock today, uh, ETSU has three players in the transfer portal. That's March 13th, and it's the three players we talked about last week. DeAnthony Tipler, uh, Charlie Weber, and uh, Christian Shaw, who uh, left the program in January and... Um, has has now gotten the first opportunity as an undergraduate transfer to enter the transfer portal on day one of a 60-day window. Uh, Verbal Commits is tracking the portal very diligently right now. Current count is 321 players in the portal. Uh, probably about 220, 230 of those went in today. So what are you looking at around the league? For the most part, at this point, it's still graduate transfers. Um, Kamar Robertson is another one for Mercer, and he is uh, off to uh, see what else is out there. James Glisson III for Mercer as well is in the portal. The Citadel, Bailey Conrad, Jackson Price, uh, Rudy Fitzgibbons III, and then Stephen Clark and Brady Spence, who are graduate transfers, also in the portal. Uh, for VMI, Sean Conway, Louis Tang, graduate transfers, then uh, Tanner Manns, and these are notable. This is probably the team that's been hit the hardest. Tyler Hauser, Tony Felder, and Ricky Bradley of VMI all in the transfer portal as well. Then for Wofford, Messiah Jones, BJ Mack, graduate transfers. Josh Morissette and uh, Amari Tice are in the portal as well. Marlo Gilmore of Western Carolina. Then Grant Ledford and Jamal Walker of Chattanooga. Nobody from Furman yet because... Uh, they are over the moon to be playing UVA in the first round in Orlando. And I think they're, they're going to give them a tough game. I don't know that they're going to win, but they're going to give them a tough game. Haven't seen anybody from Sanford come across the wire yet. Um, and uh, obviously no new faces uh, in the portal for ETSU. Uh, the, the university is on spring break this week. So uh, hopefully those guys are taking an opportunity to rest and recharge and recuperate from what I know had to be a really taxing 2022-23 uh, season. But uh, as of right now, the SOCON has not lost an enormous amount of its star power that was slated to return. So J.P. Pegues, who was the tournament's most outstanding player and earned it, he's still slated to return. And, and you know, I think he'll be back uh, unless something happens um, where a, a high major program comes calling for the head coach down there, which is possible. Bob Ritchie has done a fantastic job, and he finally got that team over the hump and won the big one. Could happen. We'll see. Uh, there is still a lot of uncertainty, and you're going to see names pour into the portal steadily, I would imagine, over the next probably 48 to 72 hours, and then it's going to be little chunks at a time as you see teams start to get eliminated. You're going to see, you know, they're going to be what 32 teams eliminated on the first day of the first two days of the tournament. And probably the Monday after they get back from the dance, those guys are going to start going in the portal. Um, and that, that'll probably be your next big wave. And then you may have another wave after coaching changes are completed and, and there, all that movement occurs so there's a 60-day period 
where undergraduates can put their name in the transfer portal. Now, it's not a 60-day window for them to change schools, for them to commit to another school and sign with another school and then be at that school. That's not what it is. It's just to get in, just to make your decision to get into the transfer portal, and uh, then you can be contacted. So theoretically, somebody could go in on the last day and be in there for like two, three weeks and get contacted in June or even maybe even July and find a place to play late in the process. But for the most part, the guys that are going are going to go fairly early. And that's this edition of Portal Watch. We'll certainly have more in the days and weeks to come. All right, let's get the running backs coach in here. ETSU running backs coach Kirk Garner from Baltimore. Speaking of University of Virginia, he played at UVA for Bronco Mendenhall. And we'll talk to him right now on the Janky Show. All right, Jane Keith with you here on another great podcast day because we have nothing else to do podcast right now. We can talk football, Keith, if you want to. You want to talk football? Sure, football. I love football. talking football. Yeah, football. You know what my favorite position is in football? Uh, Running back? It is. Yeah. It is. Uh, well, I'll, offensive line a little bit and then running back. So there's any running backs, Coach. Have you heard that? I have heard that. Have you met Kirk? Um, Captain Kirk? Yes. No. <laughs> No, I have, I have met you. Have neither, not met him. I have met neither Captain Kirk. I've met neither Will Shatner nor Chris Pine. But no, I have met Kirk Gardner. Yeah, the he's right here with us today. Hey, yeah. Kirk, how are you? Doing well, doing well. How you guys doing? Well, we ramble a lot, so I don't know if you noticed that, but uh, That's we're okay. Podcast before, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, and we talk a lot. And finally, work said we need you guys to go talk to yourselves in an enclosed space and get away from us. And this is where we are. So. Happy to be here. Well, let's talk about uh, you. We talked to Coach Corals when. Uh, he was talking about making the hires and bringing in new staff, and we've uh, tried to make the rounds and get all the new staff kind of familiarized uh, with, uh, you know, not just ETSU, but certainly our fan base would love to know about the new staff. They're thirsting, uh, especially this time of year. Now the basketball has been complete and spring football is just starting to get going. And so uh, we thought we would have all the guys come in. And for you specifically, like we've got a little bit of history with some of the coaches that came back, but you're one that we haven't had a lot with. And Coach Coral, specifically about you, um, you guys didn't really know each other up until, I guess, it was the coaches' convention, right? Is that, that how that came about? Uh, no, not specifically the uh, coaches' convention, but uh, Norval McKenzie uh, had a previous relationship with Coach Quarles, and that was kind of my way in. Um, they, they worked together at Furman uh, back in the day, and luckily I did a good enough job uh, at Vanderbilt that Coach McKenzie was willing to put his neck out there for me and, and put, put my name out there. So so you talk to Coach Corals, you had to connect, you get the job. Let's, that's how you're here now. Let's backtrack a little bit because I love to find out the football journeys or any journey because I just always find it fascinating, you know, guys growing up, playing sports, you know, kind of honing in on one particular sport. Then they get into obviously playing and coaching. So kind of from the start, right, uh, uh, 
what is that, a north uh, east uh, Virginia kind of? Well, from Baltimore, uh, Maryland. Okay, okay. So from the, the – So that's uh, the very deep, northeast, far northeast it, it is, it is. I'm good at geography, so that's a, that's a whole different state. Um, but that's the DMV, right? So if you're from Baltimore, you usually don't claim the DMV. We kind of, you know, separate. So I'm 0 for so. 2 already. Kirk, Kirk's <laughs> loving this interview right now. I'm, I'm 0 for 2. No, it's good, you know, that people need to be educated about the whole DMV process in Baltimore. But we have a lot of love for the DMV. But usually it's a separation between the two. Okay, so you grew up in Baltimore, but where did you play high school football? So I played high school my freshman year at Baltimore Polytechnic Institute. And, I tra- and then I uh, transferred my sophomore year to Good Counsel, which is in Montgomery uh, County, Maryland, about 45 minutes away from where I live. So from sophomore year, I used to get up at 6 a.m., catch the bus from Baltimore out to you know Montgomery, uh, Columbia, Hoco, Howard County, what we call it. And then they will go all the way up uh, south to um, Montgomery County. And you're not talking like a school bus, right? No, this is a yellow school bus, yep. Okay, so the the bus actually runs that far out, and you made a decision because of sports uh, and athletics specifically to to transfer? So, yes, I always wanted to challenge myself um, through sports, Mm -hmm. but academically as well. So going from a public to a private institution – more rigor in the classroom and also on the on the sports field. How much did doing that and and that, the time commitment that that took? You know, early mornings, long afternoons, long nights sometimes. How much did that prepare you for the grind of college athletics? You think? Yeah. Shout out to my mother. I still vividly remember <laughs> the frantic feeling of her coming into my room at six in the morning, telling me to get my butt up. Like we don't have time to toy around. You got to get on the bus. So. As I mature and I look at my players now, and it comes to the urgency of being on time, like you're early, you're on time. If you're on mm-hmm. time, you're late. And uh, that that um, that characteristic that my mom instilled into me at a young age has 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 carried, and is more in the forefront now that I have other young men that I have to take care of, and and trying to groom them and let them understand that hey, being on time is very very important. So the earlier the day it gets started, the more you can get accomplished. So talk about, okay, so obviously football. Was football the only sport you played, or what other sports did you play? So my father was my coach. My father passed away at the age of eight, and uh, he coached me in football, basketball, baseball. Um, in middle school, I played lacrosse. When it comes to gym, soccer, it doesn't matter. If it has a, a ball and I have teammates, let's, let's rock and roll. So, um, But when I got to high school, football was the main sport. All right, so when did you kind of have a feeling like not only was it your sport, but, hey, you, you may have an opportunity to play and play at a pretty high level? <laughs> I really think from rec ball, um, there was always a deeper desire to play the game than others. Um, I always wanted to be a leader of men from a young age. Uh, my dad groomed me to be a quarterback. So I played quarterback and middle linebacker in rec ball. In those two main positions, it takes a lot of command. Um and it takes a lot of action. And I think being in that position from a young age is just naturally snowballed into a love of the game. Um, <laughs> some of my friends make fun of me going from high school to college. Like, I'll be watching NFL classics of, you know, Red Grange. A lot of people don't know who Red Grange is, the Galloping <laughs> Ghost. So, you know, I was just well-versed in football. I loved it while I played, and I loved it being outside, outside of football. Like, not playing it, just being able to watch and see – who played this game before I did and how they played it. And I pick and choose who I like. You know, being from Baltimore, Ray Lewis, 
and watching that 2000s defense, man. Like, if you're from Baltimore, you like football and you watch those guys play, I don't know how you can't, you know, go all in and go all out for the sport. Yeah, you're, you're almost too young, I would say, to remember Jamal Lewis. No, not at all. No? Not no, at all. not at all? So I was born in '95. Okay, so all right. So yeah, 20. you're just yeah. That's right in your wheelhouse then. Yeah. So yeah, that was that's a that's a special name uh, around you know certain parts of Northeast Tennessee, although not for blue and yellow as much, more for the orange-clad folks. But somebody that I grew up watching too. I mean, just you know the the the, the players that I mean for me the running back was obviously Eddie George, Titans fan growing up as a kid. But when you have those, uh, I guess, cultural touchstones in, that be, that are like living people. Um, how does that help you connect when you tell stories about watching a different guy, you go to a different place and somebody else has watched the same guy, maybe at a different place and you're able to connect and build relationships over that because so much of football and success in football is dedicated by the relationships you have with people. So are you saying relationships of watching previous Just players? Watching, watching guys, yeah, from, from the old days, you know, and telling stories about watching players that you grew up watching and idolizing. Yeah, I think the biggest thing right now, <clears throat> how we connect, is how the game's actually changing. Because you don't see too many Jamal um, Williams. You don't see too many running backs like that. Yeah. <laughs> in, in this day and age, it's more a little bit of flash and a little bit dyna- dynamic uh, movements instead of that bruiser that, you know, traditionally was that running back position back in the day. So I think we can pick up on the, the skill sets that those old school backs kind of did have and see how the game has changed to where, you know, you can apply that in certain facets. When did you make the switch to running back? Or did you make the switch to running back? Uh, of, of Was it of your choosing? Was it something like, hey, I want to get on the field? Or do you is, is that a position that uh, just kind of came to you? Or um, how did you get involved or stay involved on the offensive side of the football? So, yeah, we're going to learn a lot about Kurt Garner today. Kurt Garner actually played safety. Played so I, I never, I never played running back at all. So um, how did you get involved with offensive football in general? Then? So through Bronco Mendenhall, that was my head okay. coach at Virginia. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I played traditionally, he takes his his defensive guys and, and puts them on the offensive side of the ball. So when it comes to breakdown of a of a young guy's perspective, you know, I'm ahead of the curve when it comes to understanding defensive sets. Um, coverage-wise, and also being able to groom the young scout team players or what we called Mad Hatters at UVA, that we had the same lingo, same terminology, that it was a seamless transition to be able to coach a, a scout team defense. So I did know this about you. You got hurt, right, your senior year? Yep, my senior year. And got hurt and unfortunately weren't able to finish playing at, but they quickly identified you or you maybe went to them. I don't know how that worked, but sort of a student coaching position. Talk about how that came about and how maybe that jump-started the coaching career. So this is a lesson to um, anybody that your work speaks for itself. Um, so I proudly stand on the work that I put in as a player. Um, they identified my passion and dedication to the game and the program. Um, after tearing my ACL, I was adamant about returning. Um, going through that summer camp, I just was not moving as fast as I should have been for my safety position and they approached me <laughs> and the funny thing is this is a mid workout like we're pushing the sled and uh I have two other guys with me I'm taking the the, the brunt of the the work like some people are tired I'm like all right move out the way let's we got stuff to do and Kelly Papanga walks up to me and say hey, Kirk while I'm on the sled would you 
how would you like to be a GA for us? <laughs> and, you know, I'm going through the strife of the workout and I'm processing everything. And, and, you know, at that moment, a light bulb went up like, okay, I can. You know, this coaching thing is, is possible. So I told him yes mid-rep. mid, mid, mid And after that, we uh, the workout finished and we kind of collected again and we and we talked about it. Uh, Bronco Minahal approached me as well and, and, and explained to me what would be going down. And, and then it was, again, a snowball from there. It just started rolling. And I entered my coaching phase um, on the other side of the ball uh, with Robert Anah. He's the OC at NC State. I work with inside receivers and tight ends. So starting to get some O-line play from that from that point, being a, a DB, really a fish out of water. And, it, uh, yeah, it started from there. <laughs> Fascinating, uh, b- because you know, everybody's coaching is a, a little different. Yours is the first one I've heard, particularly there. I've heard you know injury and guys did whatever, but Coach Corals it, it tipped me to this story, so I knew like this part of it where you're just kind of you're still thinking player, player, boom, opportunity, okay, transition. Was that a Hard or you said light bulb? Was it literally from the second they said it, and you had time, to, as you said, mid rep to kind of process it? Was it at that point you're like, okay, I'm not doing everything maybe physically I want to do, but mentally I'm as sharp as I've ever been. So go this route. Was coaching something you always wanted to do? No, coaching was never a, a forefront in my sport thought process. I mean, my dad and my uncle always coached me, so how they coach players, I've seen that since from a, from a young age. And I always knew how to, you know, connect to a player and to motivate them to, you know, execute what they need to execute. Um, what actually happened in the process, they, they Kelly Papinga, Coach Papinga came to me and, and explained that I had the opportunity. I think a week or two went by where I kept pushing to be a player. And I actually ended up getting a concussion. Mm. That, that I think it might have been the last week before we went into uh, game play. And, you know, I think God talks to you in mysterious ways. Um, I'm a big Christian. And we always say, hey, God, show me a sign, show me a sign. And sometimes that sign isn't everything what you look for. So I think that concussion period, usually when I have, like, the concussions that I've had before, I'm, I'm groggy, kind of pissed off. But this one, I was happy. Like, I was elated. I don't know what chemical imbalance was going on in my brain at the moment, but I was happy. And, you know, it was kind of a hard decision of, uh, as a young man, one of the hardest decisions in my life at that point of, okay, do I actually hang up the cleats? Because from a young age, this is all I've been doing from, for all my life. And uh, so I make a decision to, at that point, once the concussion happened, like, okay, Kirk, it's, it's time to go into the coaching world. And from that point on, and it was it was gas on the, uh, foot on the gas pedal, and we were rolling, we're trying to go. Is it – Hard to envision yourself doing anything else now that you've been in it for a few years. <laughs> yes and no, because mm-hmm. I always, you know, you always ask yourself, who are you without football? Because if football is everything, then you got a problem. Yeah. You know. Um, and I still say I, I struggle, man. I'm like, dang, if I didn't have football, what would I be? But I know a hundred percent, I have my family to back me up. Um, if I ever am lost, family and friends will help guide me to you know, what my next step would be. But I have a great friend circle. I have two degrees from the University of Virginia that I can always fall back on. But I will not lie to you guys, football does have my heart. I mean, this stuff gets in your blood, and it's just it's hard to walk away from it even when you have an opportunity like this. So what specifically 
about ETSU aside from chance to work with a position, chance to advance your career? What about ETSU made this an opportunity that you were interested in? Well, being in my position, you know, people always ask, oh, hey, did you choose ETSU? It's like, no, ETSU really chose me. Mm. You know, um, I could have had the opportunity to stay at Vanderbilt and work in the capacity that I, I could have you know, stayed in. But internally, I felt it was time to flap my wings. Um, I believe that there are no coincidence in life. Again, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big Christian. And that first year at Vanderbilt, ETSU came in and, and, and laid a spanking on us. And, you know, when this was an opportunity to come, I remember vividly how physical this team was, how much pride and passion that they had for the for the game. And I was excited, man. So I knew some of those players that were on that team are still here yeah. and ready to win. You know, and looking at their history, they won in 18 and they won in 21. And I'm ready to get back and win the SoCon again. So the, the, the question I got there, did you know of ETSU before you saw ETSU? Maybe you've heard the name, but did you really know ETSU before you, Vanderbilt played ETSU? I had I had no no idea about ETSU, can't lie. Second question then, because another guy was on that staff who's a former ETSU player, you know, Austin Gatewood is now back here. How much um, did you lean on him or ask him? Because I'm assuming you guys, you know, knew each other fairly well, and you probably at some point knew he went to ETSU. Did you lean on him at all to ask anything about the program and researching it? Well, shout out to Gatewood as well, because Gatewood, you know, stuck his neck out there and, and put my name on the line as well. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate him, and uh, you know, one of the first things I told him. When I got here, I'm sitting in the office. I called him. I said, hey, Gatewood, man, you're godsend. Like, I don't know anybody in this town, man. You make me feel comfortable. And I wanted to let him know that. And, um, yeah, I reached out, trying to figure out the lay of the land, try to find out the best places to live. Uh, he has a truck, and he's always, hey, bro, you need my car, you got it. You know, anytime you got it. So um, didn't really need to ask him too much because the opportunity was there, and I was ready to take it regardless of what happened. But... The fact that he was here, you know, easy person to either text or call to, to figure out. You know, Keith, have you been to spring practice yet with this group? I haven't. I'm, I'm going later uh, okay. this week. I don't want Kirk to fool you right now because I've been out there for a few hours. <laughs> right now he's, you know, he's got his arms crossed. He's very soft-spoken. You know, he's given all this. He is a madman on the field. Okay, there's a lot of high energy. There might be some loud talking. Kirk, there's a is there a do you just flip a switch when you cross the lines because this was not what I was expecting. I'm not going to lie to you because all I I met you in your office a couple times to say hello, welcome to the program. But after seeing you on the field, I was expecting a di- a different Kirk. So what 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 is coach Kirk on the field like because I certainly got a great feeling for what you probably are in the room with the guys. Yeah, so just uh <laughs> another know looking the past back to my time at Virginia and coach Hall brought this word of, of oscillation right so there's a time and a place for everything and uh you know you can't be hype all the time but again yeah once you cross the white lines <clears throat> I want to be a representation of my room and if I need to bring the energy to start it off then I, I'll be that person but yeah it's go time <laughs> when we step on the field it is go time and you know that it just has to be a separation now Players can take that and go a little bit too far with it. Um, you know, the animation can get you outside of your game. And as I mature as a coach, I think that's one of the biggest things I had to change is the ability to tempo, you know, engage my pitch of voice and, and how I interact. I get so hyped about this game 
that it can kind of sway some people's mental uh, discipline. There's, there's no doubt because I was excited uh, after watching you on the, the field for a little bit, and you probably didn't even notice I was roaming around. But seeing that, I was like, this is unbelievable because Coach made a conscious effort that he wanted to get, um, you know, and I, I kind of want to dive into this at the end of spring practice with Coach Corals. He specifically wanted to get a little bit younger, and he definitely wanted to bring more energy. And I would say you clearly checked both those boxes, and it <laughs> felt like his – and Gary – uh, we spent many a time with Gary is similar in the regard of like if you sit first of all he uh, talks about his faith nonstop uh, uh, Christian man FCA charge and would sit here and be be very calm but then Gary could kind of I don't know if that's a running back trait coach uh, trait or something but it is amazing to see the high energy level that you guys uh, some of the young guys that they brought in have brought to the table and how do you think. You know, I don't know if Coach Corals talked to you about that, about bringing energy, and he wanted that, and if that's something he wanted to do, or if it's just kind of a happy accident that that's who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Coach has explained that, but, you know, naturally it's a blessing. It's an opportunity to be here. And I could be anywhere. I could be, you know, cleaning toilets or, you know, mm-hmm. picking up trash. Like I have the opportunity to be on the field and, and coach young men to be football players. So it's not work. Like <laughs> You know, it's fun. I'm having fun out there. So why not let it loose? And then also, like, your players should be able to see you sweat. Like, I'm not I'm not going to tell or sit here and make you work extensively and sweat and not be energized with you. So it's just a way to tap in with my players to let them know that, hey, it, it is go time. It is not tiptoeing. We're not moseying, we're not moseying around. My energy is high for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's time to work. So what do you think of this room so far? What do you like about this group of, of running backs that's got a lot of guys that are looking for opportunities to contribute and certainly have the talent to contribute? Yeah, we have a, we have a, a good room. Um, being this, this is my first room, I'm, I'm very happy. Uh, one of the biggest things are how they act outside of the football field. So when it comes to academics, you know, being on time, none of my guys have missed class which is huge, um, study hall hours as well. So that's one of the biggest things I look for in a group first. But secondly, on the football field, I mean, that is, that's what we wake up to, to, to do. So they're bringing energy, they're coachable, um, skill sets are flashing according to certain schemes that we're doing, and uh, I'm proud of the guys, just trying to push them daily. Zach Borish has done a little bit of everything in his football career. Mm-hmm. How much have you had to fight Dallas Dickey to keep him from drifting over to the receiver's room to learn the route tree? Well, Coach Dickey has a great group as well. Those <laughs> guys are snagging the ball, and, and we need our backs to do running back things, and the receiver's going to do receiver things. Um, so right now there is no fight over ZB, Zach Borish. Um, he's doing a hell of a job of uh, being the, the standard for the run when it comes to what I call total effort. Um, total effort is one of the things that – has been implemented in my life, but kind of got ironed out in my stages at Vanderbilt. So total effort includes the start, the middle, the finish, and the return. So if you can go total effort in all four facets of that, um, which you can show on film, um, the honest guy never lies. And it's easy to to show a total effort clip through film. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things I'm trying to get my running backs to do. How valuable is just the sheer volume of experience that Zach has had as a football player compared to Bryson Irby's a little bit of a younger guy. He's been around a couple of years now, but he's still a little bit of a, a younger guy, less experience. Um, you've got a couple of guys that are coming off their freshman year, Amir Dendy and, and um, oh, I'm, try- I'm drawing For, a blank. Foster with the knee. Yeah, yeah Foster, sure. who's a little banged up right now. But 
how valuable is it to have a veteran that maybe guys can ask some questions of? It's been in another program. It's bringing a whole different set of experiences here to try to make everybody better. Um, how can I describe this? So Zach is is old, but he's young. Sure. And with 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 age comes maturity, right? Zach has a routine. So Zach shows up on the field. He's stretching pre-practice. He jogs around the field for a pre-practice warm-up. And uh, some people might look at that like, what is he doing? But he has a process. He has a plan. Where a younger back who feels fresh, like, oh, I don't need to do that. But Zach understands that to get to his optimal zone, he has to go through X, Y, and Z before he even starts. So that's ready before you begin. And so what Zach has is, is a, is a skill set of experience with certain tools that he has that he utilizes to get him at his highest level, which is excellent. Now, again, some people might look at that like, hey, it's extra. Some people need to you know, dial in and say he has a process. Everybody's process doesn't have to, have to be the same, but just to have one is important. Well, one of our former linebackers is a three-time NFL coach of the year, Mike Smith, when he was with the Atlanta Falcons. And he talked about uh, one day I asked him, who was one player that you got out of free agency or something maybe you thought was maybe prima donna, this, that, and other. And he said, Tony Gonzalez. And he said the very first day he went out there and he was like an hour before practice, Tony was out there, he's catching balls, he's doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And everyone's kind of snickering or whatever. And then after a week or two went by, all of a sudden, more guys are doing Tony it's Gonzalez contagious. routine, and then that's it. It's the it's there. So sometimes it's you know, hey, if this all pro guy that just got paid all this money is out here outworking me, maybe there's something to that, and then people kind of catch on to that. And so I'm hoping maybe that's something that you know the younger guys can can take because Zach may have been born with that. Like I've got to come up, and I know he's judo, and there's some other mm-hmm. you know things that probably played into his process of, of what he does. But hopefully at some point, right, the younger guys start to see, hey, what is he doing? And if he gets more reps, well, maybe I need to do that. Maybe that does come contagious. Well, that's the thing about, you know, we always talk about this age group, this age group. I'm fairly young myself, but it's just the lens that you look at things. So what Zach is doing, he's given a great example of what we call compounding interest. So in this day and age of instant gratification, somebody might see that and say, okay, you stretched and and you jogged around the field. That's not going to give you anything right now. But that day in and day out, you know, if you do 30 minutes a day throughout the whole week, you know, that's that's you're going to outplay or out earn reps from other players who aren't doing anything. So that compounded interest of just doing something small daily is going to is going to show big over time. So I kind of lied to you earlier when I said my favorite position was running back. It is running back, but technically it's fullback. Mm-hmm. Is Juwan Martin in your room or is he with the tight He's He's with uh, Coach Marchie right now. Shout out to him. They're doing a great job. And, uh, jo- yeah, I've seen some film of Juwan smashing. The, and, and the biggest thing that excites me is not just on offense. You see it on special teams. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest things I'm trying to get to my room as well is special teams matters, man. It matters a lot. So that's the one thing I was uh, – one of the last things I was going to touch on because when you talk about work ethic of certain guys, well – they had to pretty much kick off Quay Holmes, who's the all-time leading rusher in the history of the school, mm-hmm. who had a big game in that Vanderbilt game. Jacob Sailors, who was the all-everything last year. Those guys played on kickoff coverage and punt coverage, and they returned kicks. Amen. And so it was hard to get them 
off the field, and it wasn't because – and it really was only with the injuries last year where uh, Irby was out for a while, uh, Foster was out for a while, and then it was so early in the season. It was like game two, so it was like we don't trust Amir Dindy yet because he was playing high school last year and was a true freshman. And so they only took Jacob off the, the kickoff return team just because, hey, if you get him hurt now, now we've got literally – we're in a world of hurt. Uh, how much do you – try to push sort of that, you know, hey, if you can get on the field and help the team win, rather – because some guys, I know for a fact, they sit there and go, well, I'm, you know, now I'm a starter, I can't, I can't be on punt team or I can't be on, you know, kick return team unless I'm returning the ball. I, I can't do all that. But you see a Juwan Martin who's on pretty much all of them. You see, again, Jacob Sailors that was making tackles on punt team. How much do you push to your guys about, hey, if we can help our team win doing X, Y, Z, we need to do it? I might I might make that statement before we even get into practice or install. Um, special teams matters, man. Uh, you know that's that's kind of how I made my money in college. So that it, it holds dear to my heart. Um, Bill Belichick says the more you can do, the more you can do. So if you can be a great running back, well, you need to be a great running back and a great special teams player. You know, I always have more one-liners. If you're not a first-round draft pick, your butt is playing special teams. So every opportunity that you have in practice to push and to get better, not only for yourself but to help this team win, is very important. So when it comes to special teams, I'm all out, and you guys need to grind and go get it. Yeah. Anytime you can quote the hoodie to Jay, he he likes that. Uh, yeah. 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 He's, he's he's Pat's guy. Patriot fan. So yeah. I don't I don't know if you're a Ravens guy. We may have uh, to, we may have to go Burns. Go we Vans, have, we, go we, we may. We can only talk about this today because I don't I don't want to get in a fight right now. Yeah, well, mainly because I would lose, but that's a separate subject. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kirk, what do you want over the next three weeks your group to take away from their first experience with you in spring football? That's going to have them in position that when things really heat up in fall camp, uh, they're going to be able to be where you want them to be, where the program expects them to be in order to be able to be successful in the fall. Um, yeah, the, just the idea of total effort. Um, I think who you are as a running back without the ball speaks more volumes than when you do have the ball. So that 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 this it's a 11 on 11 game. Usually the quarterback is out of it, so the offense is, is at a deficit when we have 10. So anytime the running back does not have the football, how can you make this play better? So you should be you know pushing through and finding that extra hat to spring for a touchdown block, or for a touchdown play. Kirk, man, we could talk to you for a long time, but uh, I promise you I'll only keep you 15. I think I kept you a little more than 20, so I'm going to let you fun. roll now. But fun. we'll do it again. How about after spring practice, my man? Let's do it. Yep, I, I learned a lot about Kirk Garner today. Looking, uh, glad to have you, man. Thanks for Appreciate joining Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that's Kirk Garner, the running backs coach for ETSU. Excited to get to know that guy uh, and this whole staff. I, I really think it's a great group, and I, every time I hear Jake Guillermo Working with the offensive line, it's just like I'm fired up. I'm ready to run through a brick wall. Really gets the juices flowing for football, even in the spring, even when it is just horrendously cold. All right, stick around for the Wednesday show. We'll hear from ETSU women's basketball head coach Brenda Mott-Brown as her team gets ready to go up to Lexington, Kentucky for the 2023 CBI. That's later this week on Jay and Keith. It's going to be a great show we got some say what as well. It's, it's going to be say what. And uh, I've also got some wild bracket takes that I'm going to lob your way. On the Jay and Keith Show, on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Oh, you got to be kidding me.